0: to another episode of the Vatwani Viewpoint Podcast. My name is Manali Shah, and today's conversation is about making it big as a tech startup. Joining us is Meghna Sadaughi, the founder and CEO of Mirar, an omnichannel solution that uses augmented reality to let businesses provide their customers with a chance to virtually try on jewelry, watches, sunglasses, makeup, and a whole lot more. Meghna, welcome to the show. Could you introduce yourself and Mirar to our audience?
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me here, Manali. Uh, I'm Megna Saraugi. I'm the founder and CEO of Mirar. So Mirar was started uh, in 2017 Uh, with the vision to let people experience and try on things virtually without having to have access of it. Um, To give you a brief on, uh, you know, what the journey was. So uh, the parent company style.me was started in 2015. And uh, the whole idea was to let women feel nice about themselves. Um, I come from Indore, which is a tier two city. So when I moved to Delhi and Bangalore for my education and then job, what I realized was that I was a very underconfident girl and uh, you know, when you when you see so many things uh, differently in these metro cities, you realize that you didn't have that exposure, right? So one of the biggest challenges was that I felt there weren't many options for me to explore uh, when it comes to fashion in Indore then. Uh, also. You know, women coming from tier 3, tier 2 cities are usually a little less confident than people in in metro cities because, you know, the way they were decked up, the way the hair would be blow dried and the way, you know, uh, they would have those bags and shoes and clothes. I was really mesmerized. So, uh, we started style.me with the vision to change the way people shop, Um, started with an instant fashion advice platform and pivoted to Mirar in 2017 Um, so the aim was that you know without actually having the access to multiple designs products etc how a brand can sell and how a consumer like me sitting across the globe can experience those things before they buy it so we started with jewelry industry Uh, we had Tanishka as one of our first customers Today we work with around 45 jewelry brands globally. We've also started with different verticals now, which is makeup, eyewear, watches. Um, And now, you know, you can in a second probably try 10 shades of lipsticks and see how it looks on you before you buy it. So our vision is that everything that you see online, you should be able to experience it either on yourself or in your real environment virtually before you buy it. So you exactly know what you're buying.
0: That's incredible and I can say from personal experience that these kind of technologies have really helped me, uh, especially uh, when you're just window shopping online and then you get tempted to buy it because you know exactly how it's going to look on you. So uh, coming to the questions, uh, you started up uh, in 2015 with style.me and uh, Back then, AR and VR weren't popular technologies. They weren't certainly as popular as they are today. So how important is it for startups to look ahead at new and emerging technologies and try and gauge the scope that it could have?
1: So even though Mirar uh, was started in 2017, even then AR VR was not so popular. So I'll tell you what excited me to build Mirar. You know? uh, I, was, I was very intrigued by Snapchat filters and um, when i saw filters can be on your face in your real environment right and i we all would remember this doggy filter which you know you take out your tongue and it's like a dog tongue out i thought it was damn cool and i saw so many people around me who were just so addicted to all these filters so even though those filters augmented reality was not like the thing for retail uh, I thought if it could be integrated into retail, brands will be able to show more products, and as a customer, I'll have access to so many things which I don't have physically. So I think that's something that that I could think ahead of its time. Uh, obviously, there were so many challenges because it was my thought, but people we were trying to sell to were not thinking, you know, in that direction. So it took some time, but I think. If you can, you know, if you if you believe in something and if you see like a future, it's always nice to at least experiment, see. And I think what really worked for us was having a client who was ready to pay a pilot cost for us, you know, for something which did not exist. So we were literally one of the first companies in India specifically to do AR in real time. And there was literally no one who did it before us. So. I mean, it was it was that plunge that we were very confident that we wanted to take. But uh, what also gave us that validation was these clients paying us money to
0: to have this technology. So apart from a client willing to fund the pilot cost or the initial cost, what are the other factors that determine a founder's confidence in investing time, effort and resources towards new and emerging technologies?
1: So I think one one very important thing is the market size and uh, with Snapchat becoming so popular, huge, and then Instagram also coming up with filters. Um, what we could see was that augmented reality was here to stay. And uh, I think there were several touch points which made us feel that Today, it might not be as popular or it's not in vogue, but eventually this will become the new normal. And I'll tell you how from a retail perspective, me, my team, investors, everyone like thought that, okay, this is the right direction to move. If you see how internet has evolved over the years, right? So when it started few decades back, there was only text. And then came static images, right, where people would just put pictures of one product, probably like the most terrible picture sometimes because they don't like they won't spend time energy and money on that content right and then suddenly content became king where everyone would have a, a different budget for content and now you will see those images have already turned into videos so even if it's lipstick probably that will be a video which will show you like a how a lipstick will look but you're seeing that lipstick on someone else's face right Um, If you go and buy a lipstick, even in a store, you won't put it on your lips, but you'll put it on your wrist. And I think those were uh, the roots or those were the thought process that we had. And we said, okay, till now, this is what's happening. What's next? So we were constantly thinking and building for the future like we weren't trying to be a part of the wave that was like right then but we said okay abhi ta you know what is it that's going to happen tomorrow and that's when we realized that with all of this experiential shopping is going to probably be a very big thing so imagine everything that you're seeing on the internet you're able to experience on yourself so you know learning um from different like points point of views uh, of these big tech giants that were working on right so apart from snap google was trying to do something in the similar space where they tried to do beauty in ar on google shopping then facebook suddenly changed the entire name to meta and i think that was one of the huge validation obviously it came a little later but even when we started like we realized that it was facebook Instagram, everyone was trying to adapt So I think we saw this as a very huge opportunity. And sometimes like, you know, there is a pros and cons when there is no competition or very little competition, uh, you tend to ask yourself whether it's a small market, that's why people are not entering or, you know, something like this will not exist at all. Or you can think it from other perspective that it's such a new market that you leverage the first mover advantage. I think what we uh, really focused was that we said, okay, we'll be one of the first movers and we'll build our product to a level where, you know, we always be the be the best in what we're doing in the technology. So I think that those were the conviction, definitely the market. Also, the technology was evolving. Yes, that's a very important part, right? The technology was evolving. The smartphones, right? Uh, the camera quality were becoming better. So these things uh, added up to our decision of focusing and staying with AR. And uh, as we grew, you know, we, we saw several points where we realised that, okay, this is it, like, totally on the right path. As I said, Facebook changing its name to Meta, uh, obviously Metaverse is like a very huge uh, part of the overall vision for Meta, but augmented reality is a very strong part of Metaverse itself. I mean, everything that... Metaverse will do. Will start with AR. So I think those were the things where we realized that okay, we are literally like on the right path.
0: And with that conviction, how do you also mitigate the risks that come with uh, working with emerging technologies?
1: So you know, for some, I mean, we we always just ensure that we are ahead of its time. I think risk for us and how we calculate or see risk is that obviously now suddenly people have started like you know reducing their tech cost etc so AR will probably come at the bottom of the funnel and people will start removing it right so that's one point the second is also that what if someone tries to be better than us or tomorrow suppose if like a very big tech company decides to take this up uh, and has more clients than us then we'll be dead and things like that so i think for the part where we think that competition can c- kill us we have ensured to build a product which is the best in the industry uh when you look at the experience that you get through mirar i can vouch you won't get it on any other platform right so that's one part where we are constantly ahead of any other competition the second is that you know in situations where we feel that we'll become irrelevant altogether right when someone will say okay i don't need it what we've also done is that we work on very strong data. So we have clear ROIs defined. If today as a, as a brand, you are able to see that I am giving you an ROI where your sales are constantly increasing, your engagement is improving, your sales, your return rates are going down. And that number is so substantial that you can't remove me that is what we are focusing on where we ensure that our roi is absolutely so strong that uh, the brand wouldn't want to remove us and at at the same time as i said that you know with with the technology constantly evolving and growing uh, we just have to ensure that you know we are we are ahead of everyone else so we are constantly evolving we are constantly coming up with new things not just in in the product like or in the uh, one domain that we are in but now we are also coming out with different verticals to you know make the risk as less as possible
0: right right and when a startup is entering a new tech domain how should they go about understanding the market needs as well as the market size
1: so I think market need is, so we specifically did a lot of research. We spoke to a lot of people. We saw their reactions, not just. So, you know, there were two kind of people that we reached out to. One was obviously the brands and the CXO's marketing heads, innovation heads of these top brands. And the second was uh, the end consumer, because even though we are B2B, our product is idly used by the end customer, right? So. We did a lot of research and um, R&D with these people, also understanding that where are we missing, like, you know, where is the gap. So for example, we also became part of, a, especially in the jewellery, we became part of a couple of government or associations, made some of uh, top management people there as our mentors and advisors who would go through our products, see it, understand. So. You know, one part is technology, the other part is business. Unless these two merges very well, you know, it won't be used in the best way. So we realized that we are great with the technology, with the product, but I'm not a jeweler. No one in my team is a jeweler, right? So how do we look at it from their perspective where they find value in it? So I think we really worked hard on uh, ensuring uh, that we are relevant to, to the industry that we are focusing on. Right. Uh,
0: and what about finding the right product market fit?
1: I think you feel you found the product, right product market fit, fit where when there are multiple people who are paying you every single month without chance. I think that is one of the biggest validation but also, as I said, uh, as I mentioned about the ROI, when we show these numbers to our brands, right, and when they see this data and the and that thrill that we see on their faces, that excitement, that happiness is something that makes us feel that there is a product market fit. So honestly, uh, I think it's only recently, like few quarters back that and when we were able to show these numbers, we realized that finally we have found the product market fit because every month, month after month, there are clients who are paying us and they're growing, uh, not just paying us the fixed amount that, that's been decided, but also so our, because our pricing works on usage, the usage is increasing, right? And they're okay paying us that extra amount. And, you know, as I said, from the ROI that's defined, it's a very clear indication of how not just the technology, not just the brands who are adapting but also the end consumers who are adapting to new technologies so much and, and if you look at especially the, the Zenzi or the millennials, they are just so used to being on their phones all the time that anything which is, uh, which is focused on phones or focused on internet or giving you those, you know, experience is bound to work. Uh, I think the attention span is so less uh, for people right now, right? Like you do anything and suddenly you'll you'll start typing or seeing your uh, phone on different, you know, apps. So the attention span for uh, people have gone so less that the minute you see something which is experiential, like imagine if I am seeing myself in a red lipstick right now, I would probably want to swipe and see five more shades and see how it looks on me. The the technology has already hooked me there right away because uh, in a scenario where I was not giving even a minute to like going to a store, exploring, here I'm sitting and trying everything like at the comfort of my home. So I think that is when you realize that there is product market fit. and. Not- and another thing is obviously client's testimonials, like when you hear from your clients who are paying you saying this is driving business to them. Uh, this is adding value to their brands. Uh, so, you know, without taking name, I was in a conference and uh, in one of the panels, coincidentally, there was someone who was as a CX of of that brand that we work with and uh, suddenly one of the questions was about technology and adaptation of technology because uh, people take time to adapt to to tech right and uh, this gentleman very graciously said that you know we started using this ar technology like you know before covid and we would not use it properly and we thought probably it doesn't work in covid we all had extra time so we said okay let's try and use it and he said now it's in it's in all my stores now I'm able to generate sales more out of this and my customers are so happy, you know, they are able to engage with this and the pointers that he mentioned and, you know, without knowing that I'm in the audience and uh, me without knowing that I'll be able to experience such a beautiful uh, talk and moment hearing about what we are building. You know, those are things that gives you the confidence of product market fit.
0: Right. And taking off from what you said about uh the covid uh, uh, the pandemic really uh, accelerating the use yes. of uh, these kind of technologies but I want to uh, take on another aspect that you mentioned that uh, a lot of businesses still work the traditional way uh, today yes. Mirar, of course partners with uh, Tanish with Hazuri Lal and Sons with Forever Mark. so with businesses who are still traditional in their thinking uh, what would be your advice for founders looking to convince them to try out something different and new. So I'll tell
1: you, it's very difficult to change mindsets. And I'm going to be very honest, we have tried left, right, center, you know, we've burnt our hands doing uh, things which didn't work. And at one point, we we had around 250 jewelers in, just in India who were using Mirar, right? And uh, what we've realized is that people who are used to working in a certain way, um, changes only with mindsets so there are people who will see other brands like when Tanish started using us a lot of people saw Tanish and it was an aspiration right even they might not have the right mindset they might not have uh, the budget also but the aspiration was there that okay I want to have something like this or I want to be innovative or I think sometimes it, it also becomes about their positioning where they want to come across as a tech friendly, enabled company or a brand, right? But uh, because of the mindset uh, blockage or shifts, I would say, uh, they're not able to adapt to it. So even if you take a technology or buy it, but if you don't have the right resources, right people, right mindset to use it, you'll be just wasting it. And that's what happened with us. So to anyone who's uh, looking to change mindset, my advice would be the time will come but it's going to be a long journey right we've taken like years to be where we are today and like you know at one point brands who would say we would never use this are now our customers but it takes a lot of time to change mindset to educate them to also make them understand what their competition who's using it is benefiting and things like that so it's, it's a journey of patience and persistence. Please don't rush, is going to be my advice.
0: That's very valuable advice indeed. Uh, so it's it's a long process uh, to get to where you are. Uh, You've got to keep at it and be patient. Yeah. And uh, say once you acquire a customer, more importantly, to retain the customer, how would you go about it, especially if you are creating a new segment? So
1: uh, I think one of the most important things is to keep the customer engaged. So uh, we ensure that I personally do a quarterly uh, call with the CXOs to understand like, you know, what are their thoughts? How are they trying to, you know, integrate more and more technology into their businesses? Where can we help and things like that? The second is to have a very strong operations team that ensures that if there is a problem that arises now it needs to be like at least addressed now. So to give you an example, we started working with one of the largest jewelry brands in US and uh, for the first one, two weeks after the launch, I realized that, um, I mean, and we were in a pilot phase of three, and they were doing AB testing with two other companies were in, in US. So we were in India and we were the only ones who didn't have that leverage of same time. So first two weeks I realized that, you know, we get emails with issues, bugs, etc. at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And by the time we reply, it's like 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. in the morning because that's when we wake up and see the email and then the team responds, right? And we collectively decided that this will not work. We lose them and what we did was we had we got a team member to work in the u.s time zone and then if an email would come at 2 a.m by 2.05 it would be replied and by probably 3 a.m it would be resolved and that's the reason we actually got the final deal. so i think you know having that empathy ensuring that you know the team who is your poc or working along with you have that comfort zone with you where they are able to come across very honestly and say hey this is working this is not working and also demand like you know iterations or or seek help because if you don't work as a team with the other company um uh, there is a high chance that you'll be replaced by someone else tomorrow so i think we ensured that apart from the fact that we we'll, you know we'll, we'll make sure that our product is the best having that communication constant interactions with Teams at the CFO level, along with the team who is on ground and and like doing it, literally work really amazingly for us. So even today, you know, that's the that's the way we work, where we ensure that you know there is like a weekly check-in call, and then there is a monthly call and a quarterly call at different levels to ensure that the engagement, uh, our relation, everything is like going happily with everyone. So yeah.
0: That's wonderful. And how should one approach marketing and communications in this kind of a scenario when you're building something new and encouraging old school uh, customers also to adopt something new? So uh,
1: here, because I'm talking about B2B, I'll talk mainly on you know communication and marketing on that front. So how we do is I'm usually part of most of the top uh, conferences or events of these sectors where i'm either a keynote speaker or in one of the panels so what happens is when you know as as we as i told earlier that because of the mindset right they are uh, they have been working in certain way for years so when you see someone constantly speak uh, at these events which are known and popular those people come across as thought leaders for you Right? So, I think what worked for us was to be seen at most of these events, magazines, um, you know, associations and be a part of it and engage with them constantly because then they look up to you and probably not today, not tomorrow, not day after tomorrow, but someday they'll come to you and say, hey, you know, I've been seeing you since... X, X amount of time and, and I really like what you're doing, like tell me how can we work together. And that's happened to us like literally all the time here. So I think it's it's a lot about positioning uh, and the relevant data, relevant information. It's, it's more about teaching also in some way, educating in some way about the tech that you're building and more than boosting about like how fancy is the tech, it's about how it's going to help them how is it going to make their life easier, how it's going to get them more sales, how it's going to get them more customers. So I think it is more to do about understanding and talking constantly about what they need.
0: Right, right. Uh, Very important in the B2B space for sure. That's
1: how we position the entire marketing uh, language also. So, I mean, there's no point for us to do marketing. I mean, even we do, but platform like LinkedIn's are more appropriate for us where there are CXOs or a marketing head or an innovation head of of, of brands rather than being more aggressive on, you know, social media platforms. And um, yeah, so I think, as I said, coming across as a thought leader is the kind of communication that we like to position and that's what has been working beautifully for us.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And now coming to the investment side of things. Uh, in 2020, uh, during the pandemic, you raised 3.5 crores. Uh, how did you go about successfully convincing investors of a technology that's still emerging and that it has the potential to go really big?
1: I think uh, finding investors is about finding people you know, who have the same mindset or who believes know in in what you're building so i think investors invest in two things one is and that's my view but one is a big market and a big problem that you're solving but apart from that i think most of my investors uh, invest in founders and uh, what they saw was a, a very clear path that you know mirar had and I as the founder could could show them. And secondly, they saw that how, you know, we've been persistent. We've been persistent ever since 2015. Uh, and uh, augmented reality really excited some of the investors who invested in our company, where, uh, You know, they they said, and I mean, the minute they saw, they were like, wow, this is the future and and then we were all like the future is now. So I think it's about, you know, and and to be honest, I've reached out to like hundreds of investors and I've got rejections, you know, most of the time. But I think I'm grateful for people who, who chose to believe in this journey and be a part of it, knowing that this is not going to be an easy ride because the market is new and it's an evolving market. But then, you know, also there are investors who want to be a part of your like early days uh, struggle, journey, etc. And uh, I think, so yeah, I think it's about finding the right fit for you, for your company. Uh, Investors who will believe in you, who will, so, you know, I think one of my first investors ever, and what i learned was it's very important to have angels right who who believe in you 100% because uh, it's great that today Mirar is working doing well and you know we are we literally raising another round right now uh, but the uh, most important part is that they need to believe in you that as a as a founder you will find some other other way see businesses keep changing we all know that People who invested in Style.me's idea, the Style.me idea doesn't exist anymore right now. We are working on Mirar and, and I think early stage investors and angels know that the businesses might change. What they really see and believe is the team and if the team will be able to pull off literally anything if the, time, like if, if the plan doesn't go how it's projected. So I think it's about finding the right investor in the right market. Uh, segment that you are building.
0: That's perfectly summed up and is there a strategy uh, that you can put in place for finding the right kind of investors?
1: I think you know online you can find, so if for example you're building SaaS you'll know which are the top investors or angels at whatever stage you are who are investing in SaaS like if I'm building SaaS there is no point for me to go to an investor who's, who's only investing in like EV cards or you know any other domain so i think a domain expertise is very very important and to see that which investor invest only in those specific domains there are obviously investors who are uh, sector agnostic and who invest in any sector that excites them but i think if you can have a list of uh, you know investors um, cold emails have worked for me but i would always recommend a Uh, reference. So if you could find people who could refer you to those investors and get a meeting schedule, nothing like it. I think that's the best way to reach out to people. So a lot of my cold emails went into trash, I I guess. But then whenever I I tried to find a connect and then get referred, that's worked amazingly. So I would suggest just, you know, have a list of people that you would want to reach out to. Sometimes, uh, as I said, you will do your research and study and know who's investing in the domain that you're looking for. But also sometimes like you have your these idols, right? And you you think like, wow, only if I can have this VC or I can have this angel. Just try and find a good reference Uh, someone who can refer you just for a call or a demo or a meetup and i think that works
0: right i think a lot of founders will really benefit from your experiences and the learnings that you are sharing on the podcast right now so i have a slightly uh different question uh now in 2020 the indian ar and vr market was valued at 1.83 billion US dollars and since then of course we've all seen the market just grow at a very steady pace so now uh, with a lot more organizations open to adopting technology after the pandemic uh, what is your strategy to uh, make the most of the exploding addressable market in terms of increasing your market share?
1: So one of the most important uh, like direction that we took was that we started with jewelry but we realized that um, in just jewelry we are doing like a few million try ons every month now which is making our machine learning model very strong and because of jewelry we build our own ear tracking model neck tracking model things like that and we we uh, you know we detect a lot of points on the face So because our model is getting stronger, what we have done is, so we do face and hands because of like rings and bracelets. So now we've expanded our categories that automatically makes our market far more bigger. So earlier when we were just in one category, which was jewelry, had X market size. Today we have makeup, which is like a $850 billion market, just in makeup, right? And then we have watches. So anything to do with your face, your, your hands, Uh, and anything that you want to see in your real environment so for example if there is a bag and if you want to see how a bag big small will look in your closet on your table you can do it through so i think we focused on uh, expanding our categories that will help us expand our market and apart from that we also realized that what are the so ar is a part of the tech budget that brands have right like the overall tech budget so what we also explored evaluated is what are the other tech complementary tech like like around, around they are. so for example we work on uh, image recognition right so and with our data we also give a similar image kind of thing basically recommend people what they can also look apart from the things that they are seeing so we are also working parallelly on those things to enhance the overall tech stack that will give to any brand so one is the vertical i mean the different domains second is this and third and most important is um the geography that we work on we started with india and now uh, we are working in in us and europe we're also looking at uae so these are three different ways where we are looking to spread our market exponentially
0: wonderful and while you seek to increase your market share you would also have plans to scale up as an organization so how are you going about that process and what should one keep in mind at this stage
1: so, you know, we are expanding organization at different levels. So one is the team, the second is the technology and the third is obviously these different verticals. So what we are trying to do right now is, you know, because jewelry is something that we've been working for the past five years now, and we, over the period of time, what we've done is we have created processes and processes which are very strong. So we literally want at one point the jewellery domain to be literally working on an autopilot mode, right? Uh, only then you'll be able to scale. So uh, whether now it's a jewellery or a makeup or whatever, our, our dashboards, our backend has become so strong that in few clicks, any brand can come and start using us. So I think that's our way. To scale exponentially, or to plan how do we you know scale in different ways, is to first have very strong processes and structures. Secondly, obviously hire you know uh, more people at the leadership position, which we are right now in the process of doing. And third is to have uh, short term and long term goals. So I've realized that you know the minute you tell even yourself that oh you know in the next two years I'm going to do that, but What am I doing like next week, right? So I think we are also creating OKRs and OKRs are really working for us where each person is uh, responsible for that specific targets and they take 100% ownership in ensuring that that's worked. So I think it's also to uh, ensure that your team is motivated to a level, existing team uh, that Whatever did they do is is absolutely of the best uh, quality. They are able to achieve everything that that the company has decided to gather along with them. So that when the new team members come, like that's the kind of culture they see, and that's how the team grows. So yeah, these are these are few ways that we are looking to grow now.
0: And with that. We come to an end of this episode of the Vadvani Viewpoint podcast with Meghna Saraugi, the founder and CEO of Megad. My name is Manalisha and I'll see you in the next one.